Hello, everyone. I'm C.B. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Rommel about her latest novel, The Road to Gesualdo. As luck would have it, when I picked up this book, I had just finished reading a historical study about the arranged marriage of Isabella d'Este of Ferrara and the Duke of Mantua. So I recognized right away that Leonora d'Este, a major secondary character in The Road to Gesualdo, must come from the same family as Isabella. And as you can hear from the opening passages, Leonora faces a similar destiny, too. Spring was in the air. The capes of the two ladies strolling in the ducal garden were fluttering in the warm breeze. Last night's rain had turned the lawns emerald green and swelled the stream crossing the park. It was a glorious day, but Livia was in a dark mood. Something is not right, she said to her mistress. Every time I mention Prince Carlo's name, people lower their eyes and fall silent. What are they holding back? I don't want to know, Leonora d'Este said, and heaved a sigh that made the pearls in her hair quiver. What's the use of chasing rumors? The contract is signed. I must marry the man my brother has chosen for me. Her skirt, densely embroidered with a floral motif of russet and gold, weighed her down and made her move ponderously. But it also gave her an air of dignity, and Leonora d'Este never forgot what she owed to her illustrious family. The house of Este had ruled Ferrara for the past three hundred years. I must do my duty and marry Prince Carlo, she said. Livia threw up her hands in frustration. You must do your duty. You must do as your brother says. And what if it turns out that Prince Carlo is a monster? He isn't, Leonora said, and walked on stiffly. Beside her, Livia cut an insignificant figure. She was small and delicately put together, with a head of unruly hair and a voice as melodic as a poem. You have never laid eyes on Prince Carlo, she said to Leonora. How can you be so sure that he isn't a monster? Leonora turned to her lady-in-waiting and held out a pendant dangling from a gold chain around her neck. You may judge for yourself, my dear, she said. Carlo Gesualdo had sent her a locket with his portrait done in enamel. She opened it for Livia to see. The man in the portrait was young and handsome. He had close-cropped hair, a narrow face with strongly marked crescent brows, a long straight nose, and a delicate mouth. He has sensitive lips, don't you think? Leonora said. They look cruel to me. Beautifully cruel. And now, please join me in welcoming Erica Rummel. Hi, Erica. I look forward to talking with you today. Well, thank you so much for having me. You started out as an academic and a very successful one. You've also worked in publishing. How did you get started writing fiction? Uh, very slowly and very late in life. Slowly, because I'm an immigrant, I come from Vienna, Austria, and uh, so I had to learn English first, and late, because I had to make a living, and so for many years, I focused on my academic career and published only academic nonfiction books, well, except for a few short stories. Uh, the, my problem with fiction writing was that I needed stretches of quiet, solitary time. And I didn't have that. I only, it was only after I retired that I did have that kind of leisure. And so that's when I became a fiction writer full time. So tell us a bit about your previous novels. Um, as a professional historian, I thought my second career would naturally be in historical fiction. But uh, there were a few things that I had to get off my chest first. And so my first novels are 
strongly autobiographical. I spent some years in Los Angeles, so my first novel is about Hollywood, and then I spent some years in Argentina, so my second novel reflects that experience. And two other novels are about immigrants from Vienna, like me. So you could call that historical novels in the sense that they are set in the 20th century. But then I really got into historical fiction with my last um, novel, The Inquisitor's Niece, which won an award. Uh, And it deals with the Spanish Inquisition in the 16th century. It's a love story between a Jew and a Christian and all the attendant problems. And my new novel, The Road to Gesualdo, is also set in the Renaissance in the 16th century, uh, which is my area of expertise. Mine too? Yeah. <laughs> what a coincidence, eh? Of course you liked the novel then. <laughs> yes, I did enjoy it very much. Um, although I recognize the name Deste, as mentioned in my introduction, it wasn't until I was searching for the pronunciation of Gesualdo uh, on the internet that I discovered that Carlo Gesualdo was a historical figure, in fact, an acclaimed musician with a tragic history. So even though I normally start with the fictional characters, uh, do tell us about his past as it's such a central element of the novel, as it's revealed early in the book. Uh, well, Carlo Gesualdo's backstory is uh, rather nasty. He caught his wife in bed with her lover, and he murdered them both. Now, this was uh, lawful in the 16th century. It was his right as a nobleman to avenge this insult to his name and to the honor of his family. But the fact that it was legit, of course, doesn't make it morally right. Uh, uh, Now, uh, uh, you already mentioned that uh, Carlo Gesualdo was uh, uh, an acclaimed musician, but he also had mental problems. He struggled with mental problems. Well, in modern terms, we would say he was, uh, he struggled with an addiction. He was a drug addict. In terms of the 16th century, or at least in the eyes of Leonora Deste, his second wife, he was bewitched. And she, Leonora Deste, in fact, managed to have his dealers convicted of witchcraft. And I'm glad you mentioned Leonora Deste. She's also a historical character. Um, who is she, and why do their kinsfolk want them to marry? Uh, Leonora's uncle, Alfonso Deste, was the Duke of Ferrara, and he needed the, the political support of the powerful Gesualdo family. So the purpose of marrying Leonora to Carlo was to cement the alliance between those two families. Uh, she, uh, Leonora, wasn't consulted at all. Uh, she was just a pawn in a political game. And she's not too crazy about the idea, as we learn from the very beginning. Uh, what worries her, and what can you tell us about her personality more generally? Well, Leonor, in my novel, Leonora is a gentle and loving soul. And she doesn't actively resist the idea of an arranged marriage. On the contrary, she is quite willing to do her duty and to serve the interests of her family. But she also takes her marriage vows seriously, the bit about loving and obeying your husband. And so her question, or rather her dilemma, is will she be able to love her future husband? And uh, she does marry him, uh, despite her fears. But uh, 
her her fears are not um, met uh, at first. How do they get along? Yes, to her great relief, she finds her husband very agreeable, and the common bond here is their joint love of music. But she soon discovers that Carlo is mentally disturbed, and her reaction to that discovery is compassion. So she's compassionate, she's determined to help and protect him. Uh, the protagonist of your novel, though, is uh, Livia Prevera. I'm assuming that she is your creation, is that right? Uh, yes, uh, Livia is my creation, and she's my kind of woman. So I wanted a balance to the pliable and tradition-bound Leonora, and Livia provides that balance. She is an independent thinker, strong-minded, courageous, willing to run risks, for a cause or for the people she loves, to the point of endangering her own life. She loves, I'm going to mess up this name, I, the Pietro, I can say, Pachi? Yeah. What is his story? Uh, well, uh, Livia and Pietro love each other, and so this would make a happy story, except that neither of them has any money. And Pietro's family expects him to marry an heiress and make a career as a diplomat at the court of Ferrara. And what you can tell us about him as a person? Um, well, uh, uh, Pietro, at, Pietro at this point uh, is uh, uh, at the crossroads. He doesn't know. Should uh, it, it doesn't get his. It doesn't. Isn't sure about his priorities. Should he pursue his career? Should he pursue his love? Uh, and it doesn't help that he has that he works for Cesare Deste, who uh, practically forbids him to associate with uh, Livia. I'm glad you brought up Cesare Deste too. Uh, he's also a historical character, and he is indeed a character in the slang sense of the term. Cesare has great ambitions, and he's not too fond of Livia. Why? What does he want, and why does he feel that Livia is interfering with it, or likely to interfere with it? Uh, Cesare Deste is Leonora's brother, and he is a bully and a thug. Uh, he's also the Duke's nearest male relative and his designated heir, uh, but that all depends on the collaboration of the Gesualdo family. So this planned marriage between Leonora and Carlo is very important to him. And Livia is much too enterprising for Cesare's taste. He's afraid that she will find out about about Carlo's unsavory past and that she will encourage Leonora to resist the arranged marriage. Uh, now, Cesare is a dangerous man, and he has no scruples whatsoever. He's going to kill anyone who stands in his way, as Livia discovers. So even though Livia and Pietro are in love, they can't marry for the reason that you mentioned, because they don't have any money. And so Livia is sent off to accompany Leonora to her new home in Gesualdo after the wedding, and Pietro is dispatched to Rome. Uh, so... What is Pietro doing in Rome? But also, how do they cope individually with the fact that they are separated and believe at the moment that they're separated that they may never be together again? Uh, Pietro is on his uh, first diplomatic uh, mission in Rome. Uh, And both he and Livia 
try to rationalize their situation. Well, they can't marry, and so they agree to go their separate ways. But both discover very soon that you you can't reason with your emotions. In in Livia's case, it means that she goes through a period of depression, thinking that she has lost Pietro. And when Leonora encourages her to consider another suit that she declines and says she's no longer interested in, in marriage, she'll change her mind about that, you'll see. And Pietro? How does he cope with it? Well, Pietro uh, is set up to marry uh, uh, a wealthy young woman in Rome, uh, but he can't forget Livia, and he comes to the conclusion also that he made a mistake to give her up for the sake of his career and, as it were, to sell himself to the highest bidder. And uh, furthermore, he discovers that he really isn't cut out for the career of a diplomat. He can't do the necessary lying and maneuvering and intriguing. In fact, he's up against the deadly intrigue himself that might land him in the court of the Inquisition. Yes, tell us about uh, Signor Tommaso Amosto, uh, who is the father of uh, the marriageable daughter, Isolde, uh, who has been selected for Pietro, whether he likes it or not. What, what is his uh, story and her story, for that matter? Uh, yeah, well, Amorso is a diplomat at the papal court. And uh, uh, as uh, Pietro eventually finds out, uh, he wants to pawn off his daughter on him. Uh, the daughter is very good looking uh, and, and, and uh, will get a very large dowry, but it turns out she had an affair with someone. And so her name is tarnished. And uh, and so it isn't nearly as wonderful a setup as uh, he was led to believe. But the real reason why he is no longer interested in uh, what's going on in Rome is that he loves Livia and he, he comes to the realization that he got his priorities wrong. Yes, I, I, given the current climate, I, we might want to specify to our listeners, although if they're reading historical fiction, they probably know this, uh, it was important in those days for brides to be virgins. So the mere fact that she could be linked to another man was made her an ineligible bride. All right, yeah. Or you then you had to pay. <laughs> you had to give a, a big dowry. So, um, so tell us a bit about this intrigue, um, as much as you want to share that Pietro encounters in Rome, because that's really fascinating. And I suspect a lot of it is, uh, if not in every detail, nonetheless, generally accurate for the period. Uh, well, the, uh, the one aspect, uh, dangerous aspect is that, uh, is, is this arranged marriage, but the other one is that he's supposed to find out how, how powerful the Jesuits actually are at court. And this brings him in contact with uh, a man, a cardinal, uh, who, whose taste uh, uh, is for young men. And uh, so the only way he could possibly be successful with this uh, uh, cardinal is if he became his lover. Well, obviously that's not in the cards for uh, Pietro. So he becomes more and more disappointed and uh, uh, with this whole diplomatic career. It's just, it's not his bag. 
Meanwhile, uh, Livia accompanies Don Carlo, uh, Leonora, and their party to Gesualdo, as I mentioned. Uh, and it's a rather dangerous journey. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go into the story, so you don't have to give us that many particulars. But uh, talk about travel in general in the 16th century in Italy um, to give us a sense of what it, kinds of things, what kinds of dangers they might face. Well, it was uh, traveling in the 16th century was definitely risky business, first because of highway robbers and then because inns were breeding grounds for disease. So the conditions are really inconceivable for us today. You were obliged to share a room and sometimes even a bed with people unknown to you. And the bedding wasn't changed regularly, so you slept with the lice and the fleas and the sweat and worse, whatever other people had left behind. And in the tap room of the inn, usually there was a layer of straw on the floor to soak up whatever filth was brought in or whatever scraps fell off and spills fell off the table. And the innkeeper's dogs would snuffle around there and scavenge for food. So it was like sitting in a garbage dump. Uh, Now, that was the ordinary traveler. Now, Prince Carlo and Leonora traveled in style, and they were surrounded by servants and armed guards uh, who would keep them safe and as comfortable as possible. So the conditions were more hygienic, but Leonora was pregnant by that time, and that brought its own dangers, because miscarriages were very, very common, and giving birth could be a deadly affair. About 10% of women died in childbirth, and the same number of babies uh, died within a month of, of birth. So my novel will give you a little history lesson about all the superstitions and the precautions and the whole ritual associated with pregnancy and childbirth. And what did Jesualdo when they reach it? What is it like? And you said you'd been there. So what is it like? Yeah. What is left of it? What's it like now as well? Well, uh, I visited the castle and it's, uh, about five years ago when it was being restored to its original condition. Uh, it's all there, believe it or not. It had been cut up into something like 20 apartments, so people were living there. Um, and I think it was probably a relatively comfortable place to live in. It looks forbidding from the outside because of, well, it's like it's a fortress, you know, thick windowless walls. But it has a lovely interior court and terraces at the back overlooking a broad valley. And the rooms themselves are very high. Uh, they have high timbered ceilings. Uh, so I imagine it would be pleasantly cool in the summer. And in the winter, well, in the winter you probably have to huddle in front of the fireplace, but it's southern Italy, and so the winters are mild there. And uh, how do uh, Leonora and uh, Livia relate to it? How, do they like being there? Uh, uh, well, uh, both of them, or Livia in particular, uh, ha- is homesick, except that she doesn't quite know is she homesick or is she sick uh, or I- is she nostalgic for Pietro. Uh, whereas uh, I think, uh, uh, or in my novel at any rate, uh, uh, Leonora is reconciled to her fate, and she's now married to Carlo, and they're getting along well, and uh, soon she's going to have a baby, and so I guess 
Jesuits are holding now. So once established in the palace, uh, Livia realizes that uh, Prince Carlo is not the only member of the Gesualdo family. Uh, tell us about Emanuele and whatever you'd like to share about his history. Uh, no, Emanuele is uh, Don Carlo's son by his first marriage. Uh, he's a nine-year-old boy, and in my novel, the prince shuns the poor child because he believes that his dead wife is haunting the castle and is, as it were, looking out through his son's eyes and, and trying to harm him and the pregnant Leonora. Uh, and, of course, in a metaphorical sense, the dead woman does haunt him. Uh, I, I don't want to say too much more about the story, but uh, let's just say eventually he, he does reconcile with his son. Uh, Manuela has a tutor, and he and Livia become, could you say, friends? Or uh, Well, he would like to be, yes, uh, the tutor would like to be more, but, uh, uh, but uh, uh, Livia is not interested in another suitor. So one other character I think we should at least mention is Aurelia Darico. Uh, what do we know early on about her and her connection with Prince Carlo? Um, Aurelia is a dealer in herbs. That is, she sells love potions and other sort of questionable cures. Uh, now the illness or this mental instability Leonora sees in her husband is in fact the result of the poisonous concoction. Aurelia has given him. Uh, Aurelia is also reputed to be a witch, a very beautiful witch who seduces men and ruins them. But I can't say much more about that without spoiling the plot. Sure, um, that's fine. Um, As listeners must realize by now, this novel includes both historical and fictional characters. So what does that mean for you as an author in terms of the research you need to do and then how you craft a story um, that is fundamentally fictional? Uh, Well, I have done extensive research for my historical novels, but as a novelist, I don't feel absolutely obliged to stick to the historical truth in all its details. I do want to give my readers a sense of what it was like to live in the 16th century. But hey, it's fiction, right? It's not a history book. And in real life, uh, Leonora and Carlo were not a happy couple. But as a fiction writer, I indulge my fantasy and I give their life uh, a nice story arc and a happy ending. So that's my gift to the reader is a happy ending. Do you have available to you the sources that talk about individual historical characters in this period? I, I know I just read a book uh, which was really interesting about the arranged marriage of Isabella d'Este. Um, and there the historian had managed to get you know, letters and diaries and things like that. Do you have those kinds of uh, sources available to you for Leonora and Carlo? Uh, well, the, for Leonora and Carlo, I do have some uh, reports by diplomats at uh, the court of, uh, of Ferrara. Um, I also uh, have, have studied Inquisition records uh, extensively. So that, for example, there's one scene in the novel uh, where Aurelia, Aurelia Tarico is brought before the Inquisition. And... Uh, uh, the the dialogue there is historically accurate. That's the sort of thing that um, it would be asked. 
another historically accurate uh, as aspect or, or section in the novel is uh, the is uh, uh, the murder of uh, Carlos first wife. That uh, is described in detail because the whole affair had to be brought before the court to decide whether this was legit or not legit. So uh, we have witness reports for that murder. So yes, there are sections in that novel that follow very closely uh, primary sources and others that are just made up. And what is your process as you sat down to write the story? You started with the story of Carlo Gisualdo and his wife, right? And how how did you go from there to creating to to turning it into a novel? Well, as I said, I I wasn't when you when you read somebody's history, the story as life stories go don't follow a particular pattern. Uh, life doesn't always make sense, but when you write a novel, it has to make sense, right? So, and it has to, uh, you have to develop a certain storyline, and that that is not present in real life. You have to come up with that. And the other thing is that I did not find Carlo, the real Carlo and Leonora, all that satisfying as characters. So that's why I felt I had to bring in Livia, who is more my type of woman, so she would work as a foil. Uh, she's perhaps, I think I'm perhaps being a little inaccurate there in the sense that uh, she was perhaps more enterprising than, than women would be in the 16th century, although there are plenty of examples of uh, individuals, outstanding individuals who showed that kind of initiative. Oh, I agree. I think, you know, people don't change that much over time. I think uh, it. I think it's a misunderstanding to believe that medieval and Renaissance women were uh, inevitably doormats. You know, there are lots of very strong. I mean, Isabella d'Este was a very strong-willed woman. For example, yes. I mean, there are there are certainly examples, but uh, uh, Leonora d'Este was not. Uh, uh, for example, she complained that uh, Carlo maltreated her and her brothers in fact suggested to her to get out of the marriage and to have it uh, annulled but uh, she was traditional enough to refuse that she didn't want to do that she'd rather stick it out so in that respect the leonora in my novel is true to history she sticks it out that's really interesting so she objected in the beginning and they weren't happy and yet she still refused the annulment historically not in your novel yes that's his that's the historical truth, and uh, although she uh, chose to stay with her brothers for long periods of time uh, and not live at Gesualdo, uh, nevertheless, she she did not want to uh, annul the marriage or leave uh, Carlo. So, the, and it's also historically accurate that she took the uh, his drug dealers to court to women and that she had them condemned as witches, and they were uh, uh, <clears throat> condemned to prison, but now this is the funny part, uh, prison in the dungeon of the castle. So, <laughs> so I don't know how effective that was. So what, he had in-house drug dealers or what? <laughs> you know, they were in the basement. Uh, so... Uh, 
there are these elements that are historical and then there are these other elements that I put in there or I rounded it off differently. So what would you like readers to take away from the road to Giswalda? Well, definitely uh, the fact that life was fraught with difficulties in the 16th century, especially for women. Uh, and of course, we all like adventures, but it's uh, more entertaining to read about them than to go through them yourself. On the other hand, there are uh, certain timeless elements, like Pietro struggling with his priorities. Should you follow your passions or should you be rational and build your career? So some readers may identify with that struggle, and um, then maybe the novel gives them a chance to reflect on that. This novel has just come out uh, earlier this month. Are you already working on something new? Uh, yes, I am. Um, and I'm presently working on something entirely different, a novel about Evita Perron and the lost treasure of her jewels. So these jewels have never been found, but they're rumored to have to be stored in a vault in the Swiss Alps. So my novel will tell you exactly where they are and what happened, at least in my imagination. But you'll get a real sense of Argentina, what Argentina was like in the 1940s and 50s. And if you've seen the musical Evita, well, this can be your follow-up. Well, that sounds great. I'll look for that. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Erica. Uh, you're most welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Erica Rummel about the road to Jesualdo. Find out more about her at www.ericarummel.com. Like us on Facebook, search for NB Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at NewBooksHistFic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.